Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. I am John Becker. I'm joined by my wife, Megan Scott, and we are the most recent co-authors of The Joy of Cooking. I'm so happy you said The Joy of Cooking, because I've always called it The Joy. It's come up a few times, and you know, I, I, we've always said it that way. The, the definite article was dropped, I think, in the 60s, um, just at least on the cover. Yeah, it's like from the old books, and then the new one is just, it's Joy of Cooking now, but I definitely know a lot of people call it The Joy. Including us. I mean, it, yeah. you just ha- you have to add that. I don't, I don't, uh, maybe that was a whole idea is like, people are going to say the anyways. So I don't know. I'm not sure what the rationale is for that. It's crazy to think that it's been nearly 90 years since the first 3000 copies of the joy of cooking came out. Your great grandmother, Irma Rombauer was not known for her skills in the kitchen. She was a socialite, not a domestic goddess. John, tell us the story of how she decided to self-publish this cookbook in 1931. Well, honestly, it's it's uh, it's a bit mysterious that she undertook it. It's uh, so her husband uh, unfortunately passed away, and uh, you know both of her uh, children, Edgar and and Marion, were at that time they had moved out. Um, she had, you know, her savings and very little prospects professionally. I mean, she was part of a generation where women were kind of, well, there just wasn't very much, very as many opportunities or professional training available for women. And so she, on a whim, she took half of her life savings and decided to embark upon, um, writing a cookbook and then had it privately printed and sold it by word of mouth, as well as just like uh, hand selling it uh, to booksellers. And um, it it resonated with a lot of people. You know, she had a very conversational, witty tone uh, that was, I think, a little bit, it was definitely unique in cookbooks of the time, which were either, you know, written by people that it, you know, from a home economics background, or maybe from like a, a more chefy perspective, as in like chef of a great house perspective. So, when did you decide to embrace this family tradition? Um, you know, I mean, it was it was always uh, emphasized to me that I did not that it was unexpected of me that you know I I, I should follow follow my dreams you know wherever they took me and blah blah blah. Uh, so I, I did that for a while. I ended up you know, really contemplating going to graduate school for literature. And then I just had a kind of an epiphany moment where I came across uh, the dedication that Marianne wrote to the 1963 edition. And um, it was her first edition solo without the help of Irma. They had both worked at that point on the 1951 edition. And, you know, it was, it's a really poignant, at least for me, dedication. And the, the end, the ending of it really kind of got me right in the gut. It was, um, I hope that my sons and their wives continue to keep joy a family affair, beholden to no one but themselves and you, you being the readers, our our readers, which is really, I don't know, I it was the first time I ever felt like I had been called to do something, and it changed my life. It really did. It was the first time I really felt like a really deep connection with Marion, and I decided that after after all my uh, my messing around with uh, publishing and literary, you know, kind of the literary uh, academic arena, that I actually had something to offer to, to joy and to 
you know, my family's, um, you know, multi-generational project. <laughs> I feel a kinship to your great-grandmother because cooking really isn't my passion either. I'm just trying to be a good home cook for my family. It's interesting that she incorporated joy into the title. Do you have any backstory on the title? We don't really. Uh, we don't know why she decided to call it that, but I think it's an interesting choice. And I almost feel like it's perhaps a little tongue in cheek because, you know, Irma was not, I mean, she, I think in some ways she enjoyed certain types of cooking. Like we know she loved to bake and decorate cakes, but I don't think she enjoyed just the day to day, like having to cook every day for people. Um, so I think maybe it was a little bit of a, not a joke, but just Kind of, there might, um, there might have been a twinge of irony there, yeah. but um, you know, on the other hand, I, I feel like she really tried um, in in that first edition and and subsequent ones to to lessen the burden to to kind of be a friend in the kitchen, you know, to have that kind of casual uh, intimacy with her readers. You know, I I mean, it's hard to read that title with a straight face sometimes because, you know, she does have a lot of witticisms in the in the early editions and she just, you know, had a really sharp sense of humor. Yeah, I, I definitely yeah. agree with that assessment. And also the the um, cover illustration on the 30, 1931 edition, if you've ever seen it, it's a it's a paper cut um, and it's a woman who has a broom and there's like a dragon next to her and she's like fighting this dragon. And that's the story of St. Martha of Bethany, who is the patron saint of home cooks, um, fighting off the medieval dragon called a Tarrasque. Um, and so in, in Irma and Marion's minds, the, you know, it's like the home cook is fighting off the dragon of kitchen drudgery with this friendly cookbook. Well, and a broom and uh, what looks to be a pretty menacing purse. Yeah. So, Megan, you and John developed more than 600 new recipes for this edition. What other changes are in this edition? There's so many things. Um, So when we first started to um, think about doing this revision, we created this. So we went through the book line by line and created a huge outline where we detailed everything that we felt needed to be fact-checked or changed or improved upon or things that we felt were missing, recipes we thought were outdated or ones that we felt maybe needed to be revised in some way. So we started out with a pretty good idea of what we wanted to do, but some of the changes include like everything from the actual trim size of the book. So the book is actually wider now. It's the same height, but um, kind of a wider format. So it lays flat when you open it basically to any page, which we love. Um, we brought back paper cut illustrations for every chapter heading. Um, we added new sections on fermentation, sous vide cooking, um, new ingredients. Yeah. And I mean, I, speaking to what you were, uh, you started talking about, um, we really did, you know, I mean, joy, joy is a cookbook of many parts and we basically examined each one of those parts, uh, just to see where we could improve, where, where, you know, if there was anything lacking in our coverage, either of um, uh, culinary technique or ingredient information or actual, you know, recipes that we felt like, oh my God, I cannot believe that this isn't in joy. Um, that, that, you know, a lot of that, 
that response we had to, to classic recipe, you know, quote unquote, classic American recipes like uh, Chicago style deep dish pizza or the St. Louis specialty gooey butter cake. Those were ones where we were kind of scratching our heads like, oh, I cannot believe that we do not have this now. But um, that also including, uh, you know, more international recipes, things that um, really kind of I wouldn't say that they capture the changing demographics of America, but we it's a, it's a gesture towards that. And we we really tried to be as inclusive and respectful as possible with that with that aspect of things, um, adding new international recipes that have been brought here. Did you retest existing recipes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we did. Yeah, we had tested, by the time we actually started the revision process, we had probably tested 1,500 existing recipes, and then we continued to test more as the process went on. So, Megan, tell the story of the pancake batter and the difference you found between 1975 and 1997. Yeah, so, um, well, this was actually, this happened when we were very new to working on the book, so this was probably 2010 or maybe 2011, and we were just testing the. Well, uh, didn't we get a? We we received a complaint from a reader about our pancake recipe. It's like, oh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we did. But I think I had tested the recipe before, and I re- I thought the batter seemed runny. But in my naivete, I was like, oh, I'm just going to add more flour and get on with it. But then we got a complaint from a reader who was like, this pancake batter is way too runny. And then I was like, okay, well, this is obviously a recipe problem um, that we need to fix. So we have all these um, recipe test notes from when the book was professionally tested back in um, 2006 and 1997. And we found probably about half a dozen test notes for the pancake recipe alone. And it was really interesting because they found the same problems that we had in that the batter was too runny. And the 1975 edition recipe for pancakes was better. But for some reason, the change was never made in the manuscript. So we, in this edition, we took the pancake back to the 1975 quantities and have restored it to its former glory. That's basically one of the reasons why we wanted to do all of the testing in-house and wanted to kind of take it back to the methodology that Marion and Irma used uh, to produce like what are, you know, best-selling classic editions. There's very little uh, opportunity for, you know, something getting lost in communication when the same people that are testing the recipes are the same people that are writing, writing the writing them uh, in the book or in the manuscript. And, you know, I think that that the distance between kitchen and uh, manuscript was kept to an absolute bare minimum. I think it's very important, especially for a book of this size where it's just, it definitely seems like something that you, you need to live and breathe in order to do right. What sorts of recipes did you remove and why? It kind of runs the gamut. I mean, there were some recipes that we tested them and were just like, this is just not very good. Um, for example, there was a a sweet potato stuffing. Uh, it was called a stuffing, but it was really just mashed sweet potatoes with like sugar and some stuff in it and baked in a dish. And it was just kind of gummy and not very good. So we cut that. Um, another example is that we did try to streamline some things. So for example, um, again, in the stuffings chapter, there were like six different um, variation recipes on the basic bread stuffing. So what we did was we made the basic bread stuffing kind of the master recipe. And then we include a list of additions that people can play around with to add to the stuffing instead of providing like six different specific options. Um, and then, you know, there were some recipes that just kind of felt outdated, kind of like the uh, the golden glow salad. Um, we had to get rid of that one. 
<laughs> yeah, something about uh, what was it? Um, lemon, uh, lemon gelatin? No, pineapple lemon gelatin. Yeah, it was and, like chicken, uh, chicken stock. Yeah, so it was like a sweet and savory gelatin, and I think. I, yeah, I I don't think that that, I mean, cool if you like that kind of thing, but I don't think it's as uh, relevant to these days. But then there were even some, there were even some more contemporary uh, recipes that were added later. They were not like, you know, 1950s jello mold throwbacks that we felt like were just had become a little dated. For instance, this edition, we don't, we don't have any recipes in the sandwich chapter for wraps. Um, (laughs) We don't have, there was a pesto cheesecake that was, uh, was added in the, in the 97 that we, we decided like, uh, you know, this is, this just feels a little, I don't know. We just, uh, yeah, it felt dated. It felt dated. Also that we got rid of the recipe for tequila shots because <laughs> I mean, first of all, everyone knows that also there's a lot of really great tequilas and mezcals on the market that you can just sip and you don't need a chaser. Like you don't have to, not everything has to be a shot. I read that you took out shrimp wiggle. What's that? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, it's it's an odd one. It was actually brought back. So the, uh, the our last edition, the 75th anniversary edition that was released in 2006, um, <clears throat> there was a concerted effort made in that edition to bring back some of the recipes that had been that had disappeared pretty early on from our publication history. Ones that you know were taken out in by, by the 60s even. So shrimp wiggle. Um, I, I want to say that it's it's a bechamel that has been fortified with ketchup and clam juice and clam juice. And then and it has peas, green peas in it, and it's and obviously shrimp, and then it's served over toast. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 That, that, exactly. That, <laughs> yeah. That, that did did not test well. Irma fought tooth and nail not to publish photos in this cookbook. How come? Well, at the time, um, so this was in the, the lead up to the 1951 edition, and at the time, the person that they. Uh, that the publisher at the time, Bob's Merrill, had decided that they wanted to do the pictures, had absolutely no experience with food photography and actually happened to be, I think, a brother of one of the editors that was working on that edition. And so that was definitely part of it is that they, they felt like maybe this wasn't the right guy to do it. But also, you know, they, they resisted it later. Marianne especially resisted it later just because she felt like it would date the book. And, you know, I mean, you look at older Betty Crocker editions and you can kind of see the validity of that concern. I mean, even, um, you know, in the 19, well, in the late nineties, early two thousands, we actually did come out with a, a series of single subject books called, uh, you know, the all, it was called the all about series. There was food photography done for, for those, uh, those smaller volumes. And even, even those, that photography, those, it's still fairly decent. You know, the, the color temperature seems a little off, you know, there, you could definitely tell like even, even books that are really not, you know, in the large scheme of things that old, that, you know, the aesthetics of food photography or even of props and all of that stuff, it changes so fast. And we, we only publish every 10 years or thereabouts. I mean, ideally every 10 years. So it definitely seems like by the time, you know, it's by the time a new edition rolls around, that food photography is probably going to be looking a little stale. And plus there's just, we have so much to communicate. (laughs) Yeah. If we did have food photography, which we did actually, we talked about for a hot minute for this edition, but we ultimately decided against it because it would have been just a couple small sections of the book with a handful of photos that can in no way represent an 1100 page uh, cookbook like joy of cooking. When you're out and about, what are some fan favorites that you hear over and over again? 
Well, definitely the pancake recipe is a big one. Um, we yeah. actually have a, a friend who um, has memorized the pancake recipe when he was a kid and still can do it from memory. Um, but yeah, we hear about that one all the time. And then the chocolate chip cookies, the brownies. Um, what are some other things that we hear about? Uh, for some reason, the uh, you know the pot roast and the stew, beef stew recipes have a big following. I, I I'm I'm really happy that people uh, enjoy those recipes. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Definitely seems like uh, you know where people get really excited about the basics. Oh yeah, the banana bread. Oh yeah, banana bread and carrot cake. I was wondering why this edition was so massive. It's much larger than past editions. And then I read about the task of your father Ethan updating Joy in the mid '90s and the regrets after that was released. Talk a little bit about that. So Ethan uh, had been wrangling with publishers, primarily Macmillan, uh, for years. Uh, He actually, in the mid-80s, I think that he had like a manuscript for a a new revision that was pretty close to being finished, uh, but was unable to publish it because of disputes with the, with the publisher. You know, this, this kind of thing continued for quite a while. And um, I'm sorry to say, and uh, so I guess it it was the cookbook section of Macmillan. I'm not exactly sure how, unfortunately, I was really young at that point, so I'm not exactly sure what the machinations were. But we ended up with a new publisher, uh, Simon & Schuster slash Scribner Imprint. Our agents at the time were really trying to um, make sure that the book got the revision that it deserved. And so a very, you know, well-known, well-connected, very talented uh, editor was brought on, uh, Maria Guarnaschelli. And she commissioned uh, quite a few of, of food writers that she knew, um, up and coming, as well as established food writers, to help revise the book. And, you know, it was a massive undertaking. And they really tried to, let's just say that they they started from scratch in some areas where, where you know, they just made it very hard for, they, they, set, they set themselves a very difficult task. And by the end of it, the manuscript had just ballooned to a ridiculous uh, length. And a lot of stuff got lost in um, in the when it had to be edited down. The real problem was that we we lost the canning chapters, we lost the frozen dessert chapters, we lost the cocktail chapter, which is really sad because the first recipe in the first edition was actually for gin cocktail, or like published during Prohibition. <laughs> a little bit of the spirit of the book was lost there. Um, and then, essentially, it was just it was more of a rewrite than a revision. So I think a lot of um, joy readers were really disheartened because it seemed the book seemed to have lost its personality, which is something that a lot of people really have it's really resonated with a lot of folks. And um, so I think there were just a lot of disappointed people um, with that edition, in spite of the fact that a lot of really talented people worked on it. And a lot of the recipes that were added during that that edition are some of my favorites. Um, you know, without, it was a it was a necessary update. The book hadn't um, hasn't hadn't been given any TLC in over twenty years by that point. And you know, a lot of the international recipes that were added in the nineties are are really really wonderful. So with the two thousand six edition, the last one, uh, Ethan and his and the editorial team tried to bring back uh, the best of the ninety seven. Well, to incorporate the best. Uh, from the 97, but also bring back a lot of that older legacy material from the 1975 for the 75th anniversary edition. Um, but something we tried to do in this edition was not, we didn't want to rewrite the book. Um, we wanted to modernize it without 
um, making it too, we didn't want anything to be too trendy or of the moment. We wanted it to be what the older editions of joy are, which is really classic and kind of timeless. We want people to be using this edition, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. So we tried to update it in a really thoughtful, um, measured way. And we didn't want to, you know, we weren't interested in going back to a bygone age, nor were we interested in doing something so trendy that it will be a little bit out of date in five or 10 years. In 2017, Bon Appetit wrote an article entitled The Obsessive Sport of Shopping for a Vintage Joy of Cooking. People obsess over finding old editions. A first edition can fetch anywhere from $1,500 to $15,000. Do you have a particularly interesting story of a first edition that someone found or has been handed down over the years? Actually, uh, my father, uh, my father Ethan, recently visited and brought with him uh, two first editions, uh, first printing, you know, the original printing, one of which uh, was signed by everybody, both signed by Irma, by Marion, by Ethan. It really did feel like kind of a passing of the guard moment. Um, it's just all, something I'll treasure forever. But um, yeah, I mean, we really don't have too many stories regarding first editions because they are r- super rare, as their prices would seem to indicate. Um, yeah. I mean, finding one with a dust jacket intact is uh, extremely difficult. In fact, we have uh, like a fragment of a dust jacket for only one of our copies. Uh, luckily, you know, there was a facsimile of the first edition that was published in 1998. So for those that are curious the, as, as to what Irma put into the original edition, those are available for a much more reasonable sum. As far as like, uh, I mean, most of the interesting stories that we have uh, about older editions of Joy are not like the collector's type stories. They're more like, um, you know, for instance, you know, I think it was maybe last year or the year before we received a uh, paperback edition, uh, which it's the 1963 edition. That, that, that was the one that was turned into a paperback, a two volume paperback, as well as a single volume. It was in a Ziploc. I mean, it was just completely destroyed. And it came with this incredibly sweet note from someone who uh, she was about ready to go into the nursing home. And she wanted us to have the book because she said that it had it had seen three marriages and helped her raise like six children. <laughs> and, you know, she just detailed like, you know, what this book had been through with her. And And she was worried that her children wouldn't know the value of it and they would just throw it away. So she wanted us to have it. And that was a really, that was an amazing thing to receive. This week, I made two recipes out of the cookbook, Wanda's Stewed Cranberry Beans on page 212 and Rombauer Jam Cake on page 732. Can you describe these recipes and the inspiration for them? Well, the Wanda's cranberry beans, that's my, Wanda is my grandmother. So my, I come from a farming family and, um, my grandmother and grandfather grew, um, cranberry beans every year and they would, um, shell them. We would all get together in the late summer and freeze, shell them and freeze them for the winter. Um, and so she would cook these beans every single Sunday for as long as I can remember. Um, and it's really just, um, a ham hock in it. Uh, really, really, really simple, but kind of one of my favorite things to eat. Um, and then the Rombauer jam cake is an older recipe. Um, and it's kind of like a spice cake, but it has raspberry jam in the batter. And usually when I make it, I like to use, there's like a, a brown sugar, um, icing that you can make to drizzle over it that I really love. Now to my segment called my favorite cookbook. And this, it's crazy asking you this, but what <laughs> is your all time favorite cookbook and why? 
I don't know if I can pick one because there are a few that, that I'm thinking of that were some of the first cookbooks I ever bought. And that really taught me a lot or that I just really loved reading through. Um, one of them was wild fermentation by Sandra Katz. That is an amazing book. And I think it was just recently, um, revised like maybe last year. Um, but also I remember, um, getting a platter of figs by David Tannis and that kind of, I mean, I grew up in the South, um, so I didn't really have any experience with California cuisine and that book was, uh, really influential for me. And John, um, you know, I, it, again, it's like our cookbook library is gigantic and it's really hard to pick a favorite, but, um, I, I'm going to have to say uh, a super upsetting book about sandwiches just because it's really, really funny. <laughs> and um, obviously the recipes are fantastic, but uh, yeah, by Tyler Cord of uh, number seven sub, is it number seven subs? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember not knowing what to expect when I picked it up, but it was, it was definitely one of those ones that I kept on going back to, to read. Yeah. It's pretty delightful. I'm surprised you didn't say joy of cooking for your favorite cookbook. Oh, I thought that that was off limits. Otherwise, I would have to say that because not just not only family loyalty, but it's also like the one I know. I mean, it's obviously we know that book really well. I don't I don't know if I guess we didn't touch on this, but when we were testing recipes, when we first started, um, you know, we were doing for each one that we tested, we did these genealogies for each one to see like what edition it was added to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely our favorite. I mean, it's my favorite cookbook because I just have so much invested in it and I, I know it so well, but yeah, for some reason I thought that was off limits. I don't no, know. Well, I usually say, what's your favorite cookbook other than this cookbook? But I thought, come on. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah, I didn't think we could, I didn't think we could say joy of cooking, but joy was one of the first books that I ever bought for myself. Um, and I did not grow up in a joy of cooking family. So my mom never had, she didn't have the book. I just kind of when I moved out, I knew that Joy of Cooking was this amazing kitchen resource that I just needed to have. So I bought it for myself and um, yeah, loved it. And that was before I met John. Where can we find you on the web and social media? We are um, on Instagram at The Joy of Cooking and Twitter, The Joy of Cooking. And on Facebook, it is just Joy of Cooking. What a treat it was chatting with you about the most popular American cookbook. Thank you so much for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thanks so much for having us. It was a pleasure. Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book. 